Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Ad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Greasers. How are you? Yeah, how are you today, I should say. Um, I hope you're okay wherever you're listening in the world and whatever continuing madness you're having to deal with at the moment. I hope it's bearable today. Um, thank you so much for your lovely comments and messages and emails. Um, we're at the Griefcast on Twitter and Instagram and all the lovely comments you leave under the videos. It, Yeah, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm so glad you're enjoying this series. I really appreciate it because, um, yeah, it's not it's not easy to continue doing, doing this in a pandemic so I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it if you have been enjoying it you know I know everyone else but please do rate review and subscribe the podcast it does genuinely help me to continue making it and if you've done it already thank you very much this week I am talking to the incredibly talented Governor B uh, he is a rapper a writer an author a musician he is the two-time MOBO award-winning artist he's a brand new book that came out in February called Unspoken Toxic Masculinity, How I Face the Man Within the Man, that covers an array of topics, including grief, um, but as well as male identity, fatherhood and overcoming the unexpected. Isaac came in to talk to me about his dad, who passed away from T-cell lymphoma three and a half years ago. We're currently, as we're speaking this, we're sort of at the end of lockdown three. How is your, how is your current lockdown status? Is it Okay. Yeah, I'd say five out of ten maybe is probably the toughest lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm quite good at adapting. So, you know, the first couple I was like, right, get on with it, you know, new season. But now I'm just like, okay, I've had enough now. (laughs) (laughs) And your book, um, Unspoken, came out this year? Yes, this year. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, it came out in February 2021 having a book launch in this sort of madness yeah it was cool I mean obviously you didn't get the opportunity to go into Waterstones and see it in the window (laughs) and all that kind of stuff you know picture moment and mum couldn't go in and stuff but I think it's you know the positive's been everyone's been at home and so people are probably reading a lot more um, because they have time to so yeah I guess that's a positive yeah it's weird though isn't it to sort of there is always positives to these things as we always say on the show you know with anything problematic but it it, yeah it's such it's like properly bittersweet at the moment isn't it it's just like oh that is that is good that they have time to read but I would like to go into a shop yeah for sure I feel like bittersweet has been the theme of my life for like the last three four years (laughs) like nothing is fully enjoyable anymore which is kind of sad but yeah so Isaac who are we remembering today uh we're remembering my dad father dad Old man. What, what was his name? Charles. 
Charles. Yeah. What's what's your surname? If you mind me asking, because it's not my surname's Borkway. So oh. my dad's Ghanaian. His full name is Charles Niboy Borkway. Um, That's an elegant name. I like that name a lot. Yeah, it's a good name. And my middle name is Charles, so oh, I got named after nice. him, which is cool. That's lovely. So, how long ago did Charles die? Three and a half years ago. It was July two thousand and seventeen. And so. What happened? What did he die of? So he died of something called T-cell lymphoma, which mm. is a cancer of the blood. He didn't know that he had it, and so it was quite sudden. By the time he was feeling really ill, he went into hospital, and then they kept him in, and four days later he had passed away. Oh, um, my God. Which actually does... If I had to think about a way that my dad would pass, it would probably be that because he was so hardworking, never really spoke about how he was feeling. If he was Mm. ill, he'd never want to go to the hospital. And so, yeah, he was probably feeling quite, you know, lethargic, but just put it down to, oh, maybe I'm working a bit. I'll just have a good sleep. Um, But yeah, he didn't know he had it. So it was quite quick. Blimey. So up until that point, there was no sort of hint or symptom till it was like, oh, it's so bad he has to go to hospital. Well, about 20 years ago, um, it was actually 20 years to the day that he passed away, he had open heart surgery. And the result of that was he had to be on medication for life, basically. And so he'd go through seasons of life where he was feeling under the weather, but I think he'd just put it down to, oh, need to up my dosage or lower my dosage and, and that kind of stuff. But in terms of, you know, noticing that something was seriously wrong, yeah, there was no indication. Um, at least he didn't show that there was any yeah. indication. So weird, isn't it? How, like, after someone dies, you know, suddenly all those months and days, suddenly, you know, you start looking at them with a magnifying glass, don't you? I know with, um, so my dad was diagnosed in the February and uh, maybe like a year ago, something like that, I found a picture. And you know, those old pictures used to have the date stamp on. I'm mm. talking like old school <laughs> picture. <laughs> And it was a picture from the the November of the year before. And I was like, oh, he must have had cancer then. Mm. It was like seeing this picture and being like, oh, he looks really ill. (laughs) Nobody, again, like my dad worked all the time. So it's like, oh, we probably just thought he was tired and working too hard. And it's, but it's so weird, isn't it? Thank God when, you know, you start questioning, when did they have it? What did they know? But it just doesn't show in people. You don't get enough time. And I think that happens with blood cancer as well sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, in in my experience, yeah. And also I think it depends on, you know, the personality of the person we're talking about because my dad was a man of few words. And so, you know, looking at him and how he behaved, there wasn't really a difference to how <laughs> he normally is. And so <laughs> it would have probably been quite hard to, to tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, that makes, I can understand. So where were you... Where were you when you sort of heard he was in hospital? Were you able to go to the hospital and see him? Yeah, so um, I actually went to my parents' house um, because my mum had noticed a lump on his neck. And my mum's really good with noticing stuff. So she was kind of like, right, Charles, we need to go to the hospital. Mm. And my dad was like, no, I'm fine. Um, And he started to breathe quite heavily in his sleep. And so she told me to come over. I went over and saw him. And I knew that he wasn't 100%. And mm. I think deep down I was worried. But because my mum suffers from anxiety quite a lot, I wanted to reassure her. Um, yeah. But then I said to my dad, you should probably get that checked out. And so he went to the hospital the next day and I went along to visit him. Um, he was actually okay the first day I visited him. And they kept him in overnight, went back the second day. And I remember walking in and you know had all these tubes and stuff and my heart just dropped. Because I was like, ah, there's actually something wrong. This doesn't look too mm. good. And I got really emotional. Before that, I hadn't cried for a, a long, long time. But yeah, I think inside I knew something's not right here. Mm. But the next day, he was looking a bit better. The doctors were trying to find out what it was. They didn't know at that point, And they were a bit more optimistic. But um, when I went to visit him, it was my wife's birthday as well. So we were going out in the evening. And I said, look. I'm happy not to go, I want to stay. And he was like, no, no, go, go. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, and then as I was leaving, he said, I love you. And he never, ever told me he loved me. I knew Aww. he did, but yeah, he just yeah. wasn't that kind of guy, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I said, I love you too. And I was like, oh, that, that was so strange. Like, why did he say that? 
like he must know something's up um wow and then yeah we went out for my wife's birthday got back home and 2 a.m i got a call from my brother saying the hospital's asked us to come in and see my dad and yeah he had passed a, a few hours later did you get to the hospital in time to see him or was he sort of too ill by then yeah, I got to the hospital in time to see him, but he wasn't there. He was, mm. you know, induced, um, not fully conscious. Mm. How incredible that he said that to you. That is... It's, yeah, it's it, yeah, it a miracle. Like, yeah. no, my dad... I can't remember the last time he said that to me. I don't think he's ever... Maybe once I remember. But, yeah, it was... I'm so thankful for that moment. Mm, yeah, um, that's amazing. I know it would have taken a lot for him to, you know, even utter those words. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> God, that's so, I mean, especially when it's so fast as well, you know, like when it, something, like you said, so, four days ago, someone's up and saying, no, no, I'm fine, don't worry about it, to being like all tubed up and, oh, no, this is really bad, actually. We can't, you know, they're not there. For him mm. to, like you said, to find the strength to say that, yeah, you just have to be grateful for those moments, I suppose, don't you? Just to be like, I'm glad that happened. Even though it's so, like you said, so bittersweet. It's surrounded by all this pain, but there's this little bit of love that came through. Yeah, and I'm super grateful for that. Obviously, you get the, you know, what if I had noticed earlier and what if he was struggling with it but didn't tell anyone? What if the doctors could have done something if they knew it was T-cell lymphoma when he first came in and those kind of things are quite hard to grapple with and mm. I wouldn't say I'm completely out at the end of the tunnel but yeah it's definitely a journey of trying to not let it get to me. How have you dealt with that over the past three and a half years of those questions that you know that I know a lot of listeners talk about that those early questions that just keep coming over what if what if like how have you personally found a way to kind of like you said find a peace with that? Uh, not very well is the, is the answer <laughs> it's so hard I mean, it's so hard it's so hard yeah I think one thing that's you know really helped me in terms of you know my mentality and how I look at it is to try and make it not seem as serious as mm. it is because I think if you know the seriousness of it all clouds my mind it just becomes a bit overwhelming mm. so um, me and my brother always kind of laugh about the funny things that happened after he passed just with family and stuff because mm. that makes it a bit easier for us it's kind of like your icebreaker into talking yeah, yeah. about it um so one thing i always laugh about is basically when he when my mum found out that he had passed away she fainted um and then you know she was all right we said goodbye and stuff and then we got into the car um, once we were leaving the hospital and one of my aunties that um it's one that you know everyone's got this annoying auntie that no one really likes but she's there <laughs> She wanted to get in the car um, to get a lift back to our house. And my <laughs> mum was like completely out of it and distraught. Yeah. But she still had enough of a sound mind to pinch me when my auntie was asking for a lift <laughs> to kind of signal, don't you dare let her get in our car. Um, so thinking about things like that um, make it easier for me to yeah. process. And I guess yeah. when I'm in the frame of mind that okay, I can think about this now, it's kind of practicing vulnerability and honesty mm. with the people in my life that have consistently been there for me and shown me that they love me. Because I was, you know, conditioned from a very young age that, you know, being the eldest child, the first generation Brit, um, born to Ghanaian parents, growing up on a council estate, you don't, you shouldn't be vulnerable because we don't have time for you to be a victim or vulnerable. Mm. We have to, you know, further the legacy of the family that, left everything they had in Ghana to come over to England and you don't cry on the estate because you might become a victim and all that kind of stuff. And I tried to do all of it when my dad passed, but I think I reached mental capacity and I ended up breaking down in floods of tears by myself on a beach in California. But the weird thing about it is after I'd finished crying, I felt a freedom that I hadn't felt in a long, long time. And I guess that was, you know, the pathway into me practicing vulnerability with the people around me so it was a good thing in the end I guess was that the first time you'd kind of really cried for him did you kind of keep it together at the funeral and all of that like after little bit yeah yeah that was the first like you know ugly 
cry yeah. like <laughs> did you get <laughs> that point when you're like who's making that noise yeah. it's me oh my god it's i made that me. noise yeah <laughs> you think an animal has just passed you it's yeah me. exactly yeah yeah um yeah i mean at the funeral i had like i like to think of it as a little thug cry you know a little one tear <laughs> um but yeah that was the first time on the beach where i just completely let myself go and how long was that after his death uh three months three after months his death. yeah yeah. I, I think as well, because you had such a quick, um, you know, from diagnosis to death, like, there's nothing. There's absolutely mm. nothing at all. And, you know, I always think I, mine was quite quick because he was diagnosed in February, dead by April. But, like, four days is, is no time. And it's it's interesting because I've spoken to people who've um, lost parents to, like, a heart attack or something, like, in, you know, mm. instant. And they are in such shock. And I wonder if, like, did you give yourself space to be in shock? Because you must have been in shock for the first three months of it just like what just happened he was just here yeah I yeah I didn't give myself space at all I think I embraced the responsibility of Mm. being the eldest child and making sure my mum was okay and my brother was okay and the funeral arrangements were all sorted and Mm. everyone that was coming knew what was happening and the will and and all that kind of stuff it was actually quite nice for me if I'm being Mm. honest because I didn't want to face myself, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was helpful. But I think I kind of missed the shock stage or ignored it maybe. Mm. And so it makes sense why, you know, three months later I'm just breaking down as if it happened that very day. Oh, I'm not surprised at all. And I, and that's so common with the admin. Like it's so mm. common for someone. Is And it's not always the oldest. But it's like some... <laughs> sibling aunt uncle is like i'm gonna do all the admin (laughs) and everyone's like oh that's good and you can see that person is like hooray admin i don't have to think admin (laughs) yeah it's it makes perfect sense because it makes you feel in control it makes you feel like you're being useful and death takes all those things away from you you know death makes you feel like you have no control you're not useful there's nothing you can do you the world is just deciding things for you so i think that's Mm. so common to find comfort in the you know I booked a thing, it's going to happen. Yeah, that's so true what you say about, you know, death taking away the control because mm. I, th- I have a lot of pride. It's probably quite selfish. Like I like being the hero in <laughs> my relationships, the guy that, you know, shoulders everyone's problems yeah. and looks after everyone. And this was the first time that I can't control what is oh. happening, what's going on. And so it was actually really, really humbling that I couldn't be king of my castle at, at that point. It's, uh, yeah, I think humbling is a really good word. It really is. It's like, because it's just no arguing with death. Like, especially I think maybe if you're good with words as well. Like if you're used to like getting yourself out of situations or negotiating or good at communication, like Mm. you have this, you know, gift of the gap, this skill, which obviously you do as a writer and a rapper. And death just is like, doesn't care just doesn't care <laughs> like yeah. you're like there's no and you're so I've definitely felt I was like looking for this way that I could like somehow renegotiate the deal I'd be like can I just <laughs> sorry I feel like I signed too early can, let's talk about this yeah it's like no that, yeah closed. that was me when um you know after he had passed and you know the doctor comes in no we went for a meeting a few days after because that's when his test results came back mm. and they found out it was cancer and I'm in that room with the doctor trying to negotiate almost like he can bring him back like wait Mm. so you didn't know it was could you have done anything and I'm there for an hour just chatting to this guy and I'm like right Isaac you just need to realize your dad's gone and yeah nothing's gonna bring him back but so hot I mean it it takes it takes years to to accept that to realize it so when you were um on that beach in California were you working in California yeah I was um doing a tour in America wow. and um that was the last day of the tour actually so up until that point it was you know eldest child admin funeral etc then straight into work shows meeting people and then I think California that that beach it was just my first time alone with mm. nothing to do and just space to process I'm not I mean yeah <laughs> we say this all the time in the show of like grief just waits just wait it's not and it's I keep coming back to this like it's not malevolent it's not like waiting for you like a monster but it just really patiently waits and I can't believe that you I can believe because I know this is how we all cope with it like to have to go back to performing and being 
on stage and giving that to the audience and being like everything's fine like yeah I'm not surprised that when you finally sat alone faced with the Pacific Ocean you were like oh my god what just happened like yeah yeah and it almost felt like it was the first time I switched off in years because when I was 15 one of my friends was murdered on our estate and just you know being on the estate and that kind of stuff happening not like super often but every now and again there's like a glamorization that comes with it and that kind of stuff and everyone's really upset but we do suppress it as like young men and life goes on but it Mm. felt like when I was crying on that beach I wasn't just crying for my dad Mm. I was letting out all the trauma that I've ever been through in life and never dealt with so it was almost like the grief from my 15 year old experiences Mm. were also coming out in that moment Um, and yeah it just felt like the first time I'd really switched off for a long long time I think it's I mean you know my dad died when I was 15 and I think it's so easy as teenagers to just like sort of com- I can never say this word compartmentalize mm. things, and like you said, yeah, I mean, <laughs> to even say that sentence like it wasn't super common, but it did happen. It's like that's a that's a huge thing for teenagers to get their head around. Like their friends might die, and yeah. that's that's scary, and and to lose a friend in 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 really traumatic circumstances like like a murder you know there must have been so much going on in that 15 year old brain that perhaps like you said until your dad passed like all these things are just sort of are are waiting aren't they just sort of patiently like when he's ready yeah (laughs) we're we're here yeah I think so yeah I think you know no matter how young you are as soon as you lose someone Mm. relatively close to you it becomes you know a mental health issue for you and, and everyone connected to that person but I think what made it really hard is culturally, you know, having Ghanaian parents, stuff like, you know, dealing with your emotions and, and counselling and grieving properly, it's, like, it's quite taboo. Um, mm. My parents were Christians as well, so they almost have the view that uh, if you've got God, then you don't need to do anything else, he'll look after everything. Yeah. And that just wasn't my reality. And mm. so I think, yeah, culturally, the, the whole looking after your emotions stuff being taboo made me suppress it even more. Mm. Yeah, that's hard, isn't it? It's a sort of double whammy of, like you said, the culture you were brought up in, being a young man, mm. and then and also, yeah, on Christianity, which, you know, obviously people have faith in it is so it guides them and helps them and brings them joy. But there is an attitude of death is a good thing because you're going to the better place, which I think yeah. when you're grieving is quite hard to get your head around because you're like, mm, so we're happy this happened. <laughs> like, yeah, that was a big thing for me though. Like. Mm. Um, you know, being a Christian myself and just having that perspective. Because I always remember when we got to the hospital, there was a family. My mind wasn't in the right place. And I remember this because the ward that we went into was the high dependency unit and it just said HDU. But I just thought, oh, it must be fine. Like, you know what I mean? But there was a family out there crying, just like distraught because they had just lost someone. And obviously that was me about half an hour later. But then, like, when I think about, you know, faith and the idea of heaven and my dad being in a better place, I think, okay, every Father's Day or every birthday that goes past, I normally get really sad because it Mm. feels like he's getting further and further away. But if I change my perspective, I'm actually getting closer and closer to seeing him again, which is cool. Um, And then I think back to the family and I'm like, oh, I really wish, like, they've got some kind of hope or I hope Mm. they've got something to cling on to. Otherwise, that's kind of where it ends, which is really, really sad. And so I am thankful for, you know, faith, but I just don't like when it becomes, when it's used as, you know, something that is detrimental to your mental health. Yeah, I. so I'm not a Christian, but I was raised, hmm. you know, old lazy Church of England. <laughs> so yeah. like, I know what... And also with you. I know what to say, but yeah. Um, and I think um, it's a great comfort. I can see how much of it is a, is a comfort. And there's definitely times when, as someone who's not a Christian, you think, oh, God, I'd be nice to... Like, you're mm. like, you look at them and you're like, no, they do look like they're having a good time. <laughs> like, they've got this belief that they are going to... That they, heaven exists and there is this better place. But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying about it being detrimental. And I think... Definitely because, you know, I had well-meaning people, well-meaning Christian people around who would be like, well, you know, he's gone to a better place. And I remember as a teenager just being like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> what does that mean? Because <laughs> like, yeah. it's so, 
it's just yeah. very hard to get your head around and I think that is a thing with faith and and grief you really have to if you do believe in faith you have to really grapple with some really big things to to have that belief it's not an it's not an easy choice I think sometimes if you're gonna be like no I thought about this so yeah, you do and I think you know if you have faith it's unique to you so you should be mm. given that space to work it out for yourself because I had loads of you know friends and family members saying the same thing he's gone to a better place don't worry it'll be all right and I'm like I don't feel like that right now mm. like I understand you mean well but can you stop talking to me please <laughs> piss me off <laughs> well yeah I think also what it does it seems to that when you say that to especially like a grieving child it seems to jump the bit where there's grief of like mm. he's gone to a better place it's like if you if you have faith yes he has gone to a better place but can i be sad before yeah. we jump to everything's fine because yeah. it's kind of there's kind of a sweeping of emotion it kind of the subtext is so don't be sad because he's fine mm. and you're like but you can still be you know you can still have faith and believe in heaven and all of those things and be sad that someone isn't here that's that 100%. there needs to be space for that as well yeah so, so when you were on that beach and you had that breakdown Sorry, so you, you said breakdown. <laughs> I've just given you a breakdown. Um, when you were crying, did you feel like everything changed in that moment or did you feel it was like that was the starting point of more gradual changes and like what was your process of, like you said, being more vulnerable with your grief? Yeah, no, that was definitely the, the starting point. That was me realising, oh my gosh, I've been doing 27 years of life completely mm -hmm. wrong and viewing my masculinity in the wrong way. And, you know, actually... All the things I was taught make a strong man, you know, like never crying and dominance and that kind of stuff. Like they're good things in of themselves, but when my mind and my body's telling me, no, be vulnerable, I have to listen. Um, mm. And actually it takes like a lot of bravery to oh my you God, know, yeah, cry yeah. And, and be vulnerable and be honest. Like going to the gym and, you know, that kind of stuff, like, <laughs> cool just yeah. not hard though it's not like brave it takes, you know what I mean? it takes effort but it doesn't yeah it does it's not it, you're not vulnerable doing it like yeah. you've got to be like i got up at seven i went to the gym well done yeah. but yeah to cry in front of someone is like that is actually very very difficult to do yeah exactly so um i guess that was the start of trying to recalibrate my brain mm. um and failing um the first few months probably and it wasn't until my wife had had enough of me hiding away, um, drinking too much alcohol, trying to numb the pain and get to sleep and that kind of stuff that she said, right. She said, I've Googled, is my husband grieving or just being really annoying? And I think he'd be <laughs> being really annoying. So we're going to marriage counselling. Oh, crap. <laughs> so, yeah. <coughs> Sorry. That's amazing. That's amazing. Good on yeah. your wife. What an incredible way to deal with it. Yeah, fair play. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we went counselling and it was the first time I'd been and yeah, it was great for me. You know, I spoke about stuff that I hadn't really spoken about before and mm. that was definitely like a huge part of me starting this journey to, you know, vulnerability and honesty and embracing how I feel. That's amazing. So my husband lost his father, I think when he was... That, yeah in his 20s and then and I was obviously I you know I got that got a dead dad I was there I could deal with it and then mm. he lost his mum a few years after that and he was much closer to his mum and it was a really really difficult grief and it was the first time I was like oh I don't feel equipped like I suddenly don't know what to do and I'm like we had similar conversations where it's like you you're being very sympathetic you understand grief you know this is very painful but you've reached the point where you're like I just think this has tipped <laughs> into not grief but just yeah. like yeah being annoying and it's that is impressive that she said it and impressive that you listened and didn't just go oh like no you're wrong I'm gonna have another drink and shut up oh, oh no I definitely made it sound a lot better than <laughs> yeah you know, I made myself sound a lot better than the yeah, actual yeah. conversation yeah it takes I mean I remember similar with yeah with my husband lots of you know chats about counselling and I was brought up in a really like sort of counselling friendly household like they're quite my parents were very hippies and there was lots of therapy talk and and he didn't have that and he found it really like even the idea of going to counselling for him was really like it took a long while to get his head in the place where it was like oh okay I can go into a room and speak to someone mm. whereas I didn't have any problem going and talking about it I just found it difficult to find the right person but I was like so ready to talk I was yeah. like sure like when my GP was like 
do you think you should have therapy? I was like, oh my God, yes, yes, come on, where? <laughs> and he said it really tentatively, like, oh, this could offend her. I was like, no, 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 I'm so ready. I just can't find the right person. So so you did the marriage counselling, but did you sort of end up focusing on the grief in that in those sessions? Yeah, so um, I started to go counselling by myself mm-hmm. um, with, had to find, try a few different counsellors. The first one I quite liked, but You've after the first session... After the third session, it was kind of like, mm, I actually don't like talking to you that much. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I might try to find someone else. Um, but the second person was great. <laughs> I say this all the time about cats, like, because so many people say to me, oh, I tried it, I didn't like it. And I'm like, it's like relationships. You wouldn't literally, like, have your first, you know, school, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and be like, well, I went on a two dates, so I'll never do that again. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're not right. But with counselors or therapists, it's like, you've got to find the right one. I had some terrible really bad like tryouts Mm. and then I would give up for like a year and then I would look again and then eventually I found someone who was just so brilliant and so exactly what I needed but it's like you need to be in the right place they need to be in the right place it's like you know it's such a little yeah the work the karma everything has to come together but I think that's amazing that you tried it and then immediately found someone else because so many people do get put off and they just think oh it's not for me rather than that person's not for me yeah I was definitely put off I think and it was a few months you know gap between me finding another one um and I think you know having my son was the real push because it gave me another reason to be better because I realized that you know my dad was great but a lot of the stuff that he didn't do so well I subconsciously picked up I think you can go two ways you can be like right my dad didn't do this and so I'm gonna be the best at it Um, or you can go I'm just going to be the same. (laughs) And that was me. Um, But yeah, I think having my son was like, okay, sort yourself out and try and equip yourself with the tools that give you the best chance to to do so. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. I think, yeah, having kids is a big factor, isn't it? And in looking at your own parents and especially... So was your dad... No, your dad wasn't alive when you had your son. No, he wasn't. So I had my son in 2019. It's two years after. And it's that's hard in itself. How did you find that moment when you're like, oh, I'm a dad and, and he's not here for me to have those questions or share that moment? Yeah, it was, you know, what we were talking about with it being bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Um, after he passed, I put out an album that did quite well, was able to buy a house, and I was like, oh my gosh, got my first house. Then it was like, oh crap, dad's not here to see it. And this is basically what he worked <laughs> to see me do. And it was like, yay, baby. And it was like, oh, granddad's not here. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm still working it out, but I just try and take the rough with the smooth. Um, yeah be all there it's really hard and I you know obviously I've spoken to so many people and 
I think the I remember specifically talking to Felix White, you know, who was in the Maccabees. Yeah. yeah. And he's, you know, said a really similar thing of like, you know, playing this massive concert and like the whole crowd is singing about your lyrics, but you're like, oh, they're not, they'll never know. I can't tell mm. them. I can't tell them about this. And I think, yeah, bittersweet is annoyingly such a good word for it because everything is... Uh, yeah, it's it's weird for me, obviously, because I've been living that life for so long. So I've had so many moments, like, you know, my GCSEs, my A-levels going, like, all, all my all these moments of my life. So I've kind of got used to it. And I think it does get a bit easier. I think it doesn't sting as much. You know what I mean? Like, the cut yeah. isn't, like, as raw. But you still have a moment of, like, oh, oh. <laughs> like, yeah. oh yeah. that's annoying. I'd agree. I feel like my the bittersweet feeling is a bit different. So when he had first passed and I was doing shows, I'd be on stage or just have got off stage and then I thought, oh man, I'm still feeling it like dad's not here. But now I find that I can actually enjoy the moment a lot more. Mm. Um, it will still hit me at some point, might be a week later or whatever. But I find that, yeah, I'm I'm probably better at enjoying the moment and, and living in the moment now. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't hit as, you know, as hard or as soon um, after that moment. That's good. I mean, that's pro. That's progress. I mean, and not, you know, grief isn't something you get over. It isn't something that magically disappears. But I think all that happens is you recognise the feelings. So like, you're like, oh, it's this one. Okay, what do I yeah. need to do? Don't, yeah, like I want to enjoy this. So let's have that feeling a bit later or let's hope that feeling comes when I'm at home and I'm not on stage and... Yeah. So all you can do really is when they pop their head up, be like, oh, you, okay. That's good, yeah. But like, I wish that I knew <laughs> when it was coming. Because, oh, like, no. even like yeah. last Father's Day, right, day before doing all right, I'm feeling good. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, this is new. I think I'm <laughs> doing well, yeah. I wake up in the morning and, oh, my days, like, this wave of emotion just hits me. And I'm like, where the hell has this come from? I was doing all right. I'm like, oh, I wish I knew it was coming. I would have dealt with it and... <laughs> It's, I completely agree. That's what I think is also weird, that you can go to bed quite philosophical. Yeah. You know, and I'll be saying to my husband, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm all right. And it's fine. And this thing happened. You know, yeah, you know, these things happen. And you're all like, cool. And yeah, you wake up and you're like, like, it's like you went to bed and you ate something. You're like, what's that? What did I drink? Yeah. Or, oh, yuck. Oh, it's great. Oh. And you're like, I don't remember doing that. I don't remember. Yeah. It would be really good if there was more warning. Yeah. I think I've got slightly better. Slight, and this is like 20 years. Oh, great. I've got, I've got a lot yeah, to look forward to. Look, mate, let me tell you. It's a, it's a roller coaster. I've got slightly better at sensing it coming, but you're not always right. But I have got slightly better at like, if I'm in a, what I think is a fine mood, and then sometimes I think, is it fine? Or are you on edge? And mm. you're sort of like, oh, I'm, I'm being a bit manic, a bit like, everything's fine, everything, I'm doing loads. I think, God, look at me getting stuff done. I'm doing so much stuff. I'm so good, I'm so, I'm like burning through things. And I think, oh, why, why are you doing so much? Like, why haven't you sat down today? Yeah. Is everything all right? But it's hot, like you have to kind of, like you said, it's being present, isn't it? It's really hard. It's like not something you can, not um practice that you have to practice it and be like okay what is this but yeah that warmth that emotion of grief is yeah is really hard and stuff like father's day and birthdays and christmases and mm. I, mean, I don't know about you that's what annoyed one of the things that annoyed me was like you think it's just going to be the anniversary and then there's this whole <laughs> like, yeah. you're joking all these yeah. other days are going to bother me as well like oh god there's a lot of days in the year that i'm having to prep myself for yeah but this is quite morbid, yeah. Mm, go for but it. even though it's difficult those days, I kind of like it because yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't want to ever forget that I miss you. Like, I don't mm. want you to ever become a distant memory. So I'm like, yeah, I hate the feeling. But then on in some ways, I'm glad I have, you know, those feelings and yeah, those yeah. ways to remember how much of a big part of my life he still is, you know? I totally, un yeah, I totally understand that. And I've definitely had, because I'm so further down the line, I do feel sometimes guilty of like, oh, I don't miss you in the same way. I don't have that, like, oh my God, I can't, it's so painful. I'll have like, oh, it hurts, but yeah, it's okay. 
sometimes obviously you still get the still get the shit days but yeah I do know that feeling of sort of being still I guess connected to them in a way isn't it still connected to their presence kind of thing that actually happened to me the other day Wait, you know that like, people say stuff like, oh yeah, I think of you every single day since I lost you and stuff like that. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. And then I had this day, it must have been three weeks ago. I'm like, oh, I didn't think about my dad yesterday. I actually feel really guilty. So then I put on one of his favourite CDs to make myself really sad. <laughs> Hopefully I've made up for it. <laughs> See, dad, look, look what I'm doing now. I'm being really sad. Yeah. Yeah, I think you def. I definitely have days despite doing this podcast I have days where yeah I have days where I don't think about him definitely which I think is I think you know after a certain amount of time you know you're, you've moved on so much in your life and I I did used to feel a bit more guilty about it I think that you know when it's like you're going through a phase so that first year into that second year into that third year mm. and like when you're sort of like in year 15 you're like oh I think I'm changing again into something else like this grief is now moving into this and that's always hard, that transition moment when you're like, oh, it feels like the grief is really moving. And I think that can be a bit like, oh, a bit shaky. Yeah. So you're coming up to your fourth year then soon. Fourth yeah. anniversary, yeah. Fourth in July, yeah. In July. How are you feeling about that number and that time? Especially, I mean, at the moment, it's tricky because of lockdown and stuff. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. It, it's a weird feeling. I think first second year especially was like this is still really fresh mm. third year oh i can't believe it's three years fourth year yeah. i'm like no it's there's no way it could be four years like mm. it still feels like yesterday um and so much has happened since you know um so at the moment i'm actually feeling okay i'm feeling like i've moved on from the worst parts of me mm. um just, you know, chatting to friends and stuff. A lot of them said, oh, you acted really out of character when, you know, your dad passed. But I kind of view it differently. I think I've actually quite, I've had quite a blessed life. Like, I've been fortunate, even though, you know, we didn't have much money growing up and stuff like that. Had family that loved me and good people around and that kind of stuff. So it's quite easy for me to, you know, show the good parts of myself and, like, be a decent person and that kind of stuff. But I think when life isn't going my way that's when almost like my true character comes out, you know, and rears its head. <laughs> so, you know, my addiction to alcohol during that period, I'm thankfully over and think I have healthier relationships with, you know, my wife and my mum and, you know, people in my life. So it feels like, you know, that first kind of initial reaction of, crap, my whole life's changed. I feel like I've moved a little bit forward from that point. And now it's just like, ah, oh, still hurts, but life, what else have you got to give me? And <laughs> <laughs> how can I respond in the best way and, and learn from this? Um, so I don't, I, to be honest, I don't know what this stage is, but I just mm. know that I feel like I'm not in the same place I was in the first couple of years. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because there's no like clear date line on anything. And I think you only, you just get a sense sometimes, don't you? like the wind changes and you're like, oh, I feel differently about that memory or that you know shirt I've seen like suddenly it's like things are not like you're not bursting into tears over everything you Mm. know so you're like oh okay and it it sort of just subtly happens or changes and I think that's interesting what you say about like your your true self because I I suppose I always think when things don't get your own when when things don't go one's own way um (laughs) it's not necessarily your true self it's like I would I would say like that sounds quite harsh on you on you. Yeah. Like it's more like yourself under pressure. And like we none of us know how we're gonna react under like that like I mean like lockdown's a perfect example, isn't it? Like you never know quite how you're gonna react when things are incredibly stressful. And you might have this idea of yourself, oh I'll be this and I'll be this and then shit hits the fan and you're like, Oh Yeah. <laughs> I'm for not sure. I'm actually not very cool in these situations. I'm actually quite yeah. stressed. Yeah, I think I'm definitely tough on myself and it's because in that period you know, everyone thinks about the person that's lost someone really close to them, mm. but they don't always think about, you know, all the other people they're connected to that they might be hurting from, you know, internalising mm. grief or just dealing with it in a way that's, you know, affects everyone. Because it's tough for me, you know. And I think because I put, you know, a lot of people around me in, I don't know, I put them through a bit of pain with the way I responded mm. and I felt like I didn't truly take responsibility in that period. 
And so now I feel like I'm harsher on myself to make up for it. And it's always a challenge to try and be kind to myself. That's why I say about art, it revealed my true character. Because really, I don't really think I'm like a bad person. Yeah. Hopefully I'm not, but yeah. I understand that. And I definitely got better at looking back at that person who was grieving and just feeling kindness. But it took Mm. a long time because I definitely, like you have all the rage and then I said, you're moving the stage and you're like, oh, God, I was a right pain in the ass. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then I sort of ignored it for ages. And that now I think I can look back and I think, I mean, obviously, I don't know, but maybe in more years time, you'll look back at that Isaac and be like, well, he was 27. You know, your dad died within four. Like, that is so much to deal with. Who wouldn't have a, a dodgy patch and mm. use alcohol to numb pain? But you also sound incredibly self-aware. And I think that's the key is like, no human is perfect. We all make these really terrible choices yeah. <laughs> through our life. And all you can do is kind of go, that was hands up, that was a bad choice. And so many people don't. They're like, no, no, I didn't do anything wrong. And that is the painful thing, really. I think we can relate as humans to people being in pain and see their actions. And the pain you feel really is like, I love you, don't, I don't want you to, to hurt yourself. But yeah. if somebody can be self-aware enough to go, yeah, you're right, I, I'm being a pain, I'm gonna stop doing that. that, that that's, that's such a healing part of the process. Yeah, no, for sure. Do you do counseling sessions? I'll come <laughs> to you instead. <laughs> um, no, you're right. And I think for me, it's encouraging <laughs> to, you know, speak to someone that's um, ahead of the journey, by a number of years and able to look back at themselves in a way that's kinder, you know, um, and hopefully we can get to that point as well. Oh, but I mean, this took time and therapy, <laughs> like a lot of therapy. And I didn't, I didn't have it for years because I said I was a teenager. So I just was like, oh, I just, can't, I don't know how to do this process. And it took, yeah, it took a lot of therapy for me to realize how harsh I was on the, the girl that had, mm. had, you know, had lost a parent. And I think also the other thing that's good that happens is as you get older, you meet people younger. So if you meet someone who's 27, you will look at them and go, you're so young. But when you're 27, you think, oh, I know everything. I'm an an adult. When I was 15, I thought I was pretty grown up. And it wasn't until I got, you know, much, much older and I could meet a 15 year old. And I was like, you're a baby. You're just a literal baby. But to my head, then that, you know, I think we, you know, you have that experience whether you've lost someone or not. But when you have and you can meet someone, especially if you meet someone like who like looks like you or is from your area and they're mm. talking, you're like, that's what I looked like when I was <laughs> yeah. convinced that I was this grown up that knew what was going on. And you as the adult are like, oh, my God, this kid knows nothing. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure, man. I have those moments every now and again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I love the way you talk about yourself when you were 15 as, you know, the girl that was grieving I've never actually done that, but I just literally thought about it. And I was like, oh, the guy that was grieving three years ago, like I'm able to be a bit more kinder and think about, you know, that person wasn't fully me. Mm. Um, He was responding to something that made him act a bit out of character, turned to things he wouldn't usually turn to and that kind of stuff. Um, But that's a great way to look at it. I might practice that this week. (laughs) The guy that was grieving. Yeah. <laughs> the guy that was yeah it's a good excuse for all my misdemeanors I was just a girl <laughs> who was grieving what could I do but I do think I suppose I said because now I'm really not I'm really not a girl like you know and especially I've got two kids and if I'm old <laughs> like I look and when I see pictures I'm like oh god I was such a child and that and I have got like I said it's taken a long time but I definitely look at that person with so much more kindness now because I just think oh what did you know you didn't know anything like yeah. and death especially when it comes you know suddenly and especially even like you said you might have had experiences or been you know close to death in that way or people you knew had had tragic circumstances but a parent is a whole other world of Mm. and losing them and you know some people don't face this to like they're in their 50s and their kids are grown up and they're having to deal with this like you are it is a a much younger place to lose that parental figure yeah yeah, you're right. I was trying to think of something really clever to say off the back of that, but I'm just going to agree with everything you said. <laughs> I'm sorry. I actually have no counselling training as well, which is like the hilarious thing. I bet counsellors listen like, what's she fucking saying? Yeah. Don't say oh, that. That's man. very bad advice. And I'm like, 
Well, that's what I think, guys, with my English <laughs> degree. Can you imagine um, there's like a counsellor's Facebook group against you right now? <laughs> Can you imagine what she said this week, guys? Oh, my God. What a man. I couldn't believe it. I'm contacting him already. I'm going to offer free counselling after she's finished. Um, I wanted to ask, so when you went for the counselling, how was it? Because you talked earlier about your culture and your background not being so open to emotion like how was it when you changed and you were like I'm going to be emotional like with your mum and your friends did you sort of how did people react to that change yeah I think my mum was a bit worried about me going counselling just because I think culturally some of the reasons they don't like it is because you know in Ghanaian culture if you go and seek outside help it shows that you've got like a big issue in your family which can be like quite embarrassing um also you know the whole idea of like trusting someone with your deepest darkest mm. even though counselors have this code of conduct um <laughs> maybe my mom thinks that they don't actually stick to it or whatever um but i think you know seeing that i was healthier less snappy mm. um a better communicator more patient they just saw the fruit of it i think um friends and family and so i think in spite of all the you know taboos and the stuff that we've been conditioned to believe about seeking help they just thought this is is good for him man and he's is helping his grief process and he's becoming someone that's growing and you know he still has his down days but on the whole it's having a really positive impact on him so i think yeah everyone was really happy for me but I always say you know I've had friends that have lost people and I say for me there's not like this 10 point plan of like mm. yeah this is how you do it go counselling it'll be good like <laughs> we respond to different things you know yeah, um, yeah. and also I think people don't understand sometimes how hard it is for people from poorer communities to have access to stuff like that like yeah I was very privileged in the sense of like someone just texted me a counsellor's um, website and I was able to just book a session for 50 pound or whatever it was mm. but like a lot of people probably would have had to like go to a local authority nhs wait for a few months and this what do you do in the meantime and that kind mm. of stuff so yeah i was grateful that i could do that and i always tell people you just got to try and do what works for you and you know what you respond best to yeah definitely i think i mean i i'm a big advocate of counseling of as a counselor um <laughs> but i also it, it, I didn't go for a long time and I think it wasn't right for me at that time like there was again part of me that was like oh I should have gone early and then part of me like I wouldn't I wasn't ready I wasn't ready yeah. to talk about it so I, I really hold to that of like if it is the right thing for you to do it will come at the right time and I think it, it can be really helpful to have it early on like I know Cruise Care are a charity who offer free bereavement like I think they offer like 10 sessions or 6 sessions to literally like grief counseling when something's just happened to you and I think like mm. that it, it is can be very beneficial to kind of just go okay what just happened to me but then I think yeah it's you said it's so individual and not everybody reacts well to it and you have to be in the right frame of mind and I said the biggest thing is the privilege you have to be able to think oh yeah I can spare that money and that time which yeah not everyone sure. can yeah, and I can trust this person, yeah. etc. Um, but yeah, it was really positive. With my wife, it was interesting because she obviously encouraged me to go and we went together. And then I was kind of like, oh, babes, there's some things I want to say about you, but I don't think I should say them in front of you. So <laughs> I might need to go by myself. And she got a bit funny about that. I'm like, well, you told me to go in the first place. Um, but yeah, all in all, it was it was real positive. That's a great line though. It's like, well, you did get me into it. So yeah. now I like it. You can't <laughs> yeah. really be annoyed at me. I think that's so positive though. I have to say like, I, I mean, obviously I think marriage counseling or couple counseling is amazing, but I think having the privilege to have a space that's yours, that you get to say mm. whatever you feel like. And you know, you can be unreasonable. You can say all the unreasonable things. Someone can sort of nod at you and you think, oh yeah, that's unreasonable, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah. Which if you said out loud to your partner would be a, you know, a three day row. Yeah. <clears throat> and so it's not worth it. But sometimes you just need to say these things. So yeah, it's, it's helpful. When you were writing the book, how was that sort of, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a book. <laughs> oh, that's it. Congratulations. <clears throat> Thank I'm you. But yeah. My, my glass of water. Toasting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But I know from having to write a book in a pandemic, 
it's tough. It's tough to go back. Like, did you talk about your dad in the book? Yeah, I spoke yeah. about him a lot. Um, and I think it was because when I had that breakdown in California, I started writing some lyrics um, about how I felt <laughs> because I have got the worst memory. Like, oh, it's really? so bad. If I don't write <laughs> stuff down, I probably would have told you he died in 2013 or something. <laughs> it's literally that bad. Um, so I guess, you know, starting the book, and writing about a third of it was actually really easy because it was just that raw emotion and I just don't forget how I feel because I wrote it down and also a lot a lot of stuff came back to me the tough bit was um where do you go from there because mm. I'm not a mental health expert I'm not a grief expert I only have my experience to talk about I don't want to preach at anyone because we all respond to you know grief differently um so it's what themes do I pull out um I ended up talking about you know working class culture and race and the idea of masculinity and why young men might feel the need to suppress their emotions and that's the path it took but yeah I definitely had writer's block after I wrote about my dad passing away Mm. because I was just kind of like oh where do we go from here it's a really short (laughs) book at the moment (laughs) and it's well it's it's hard as well because I think when you're what grief you know that's that story and that narrative of what happened to you is like you said you're still replaying it you're still figuring it out you're still structuring like okay what happened when did we get in the car and do like all of that stuff and writing it down is yeah it's so helpful like you said I mean god my memory of of what happened when he died is so foggy now because it's so far Mm. it's so far away I'm always impressed with people who can write down at the time because I can't I can't write down stuff at the time I find it really difficult yeah, I'm going to say um, I normally end up doing it because I realise I'm forgetting bits yeah, and so yeah. I better do it now. Um, but it was the good thing about it is I remembered a lot of things because you're just thinking, right, what can I write about him? And things that just seemed like they were nothing mm. actually became really important. Like he always used to take me to the airport if I was going abroad for a tour or whatever. And that's just like, it's not worth writing about. But actually it is because... Yeah it's like he was the guy that took me to the airport and we shared a lot of great journeys and stuff and yeah it just becomes a massive thing now Mm. um and stuff that now I want to be the guy that takes people to the airport because my dad (laughs) did it for me you know um but yeah it was interesting yeah I was wondering about that writer's block because sometimes I tell myself it's writer's block but really it's like I can't face thinking about it today (laughs) or I can't face writing about it today you know and you're like Mm. you sort of like there's a bit where it's like fun memories or it's like, oh yeah, this happened, this happened. And there's a bit where you have to sort of stop and you're like, oh. Yeah. I've just like conjured them up for an hour and now I'm sort of, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's not, it's not impossible. It's not like so painful I can't do it, but it is, it's bittersweet. It's bittersweet to be like, oh, that was fun. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you're writing about and, and digging up some some deep stuff that you can't just forget about when you shut down your laptop you know Um, yeah so that is really tough did all that pain end up in lyrics as well was that another like place that it went to yeah um ended up doing an album it was called hands are made for working because that's something he used to say to me a lot when i was being lazy (laughs) as a child um and that i guess that was a big thing for me because i'm one of these people which is why I struggle sometimes that like everything that happens to us in life has to mean something. I think sometimes I overthink it and sometimes it's just, that doesn't mean anything. That was just some random thing that happened. (laughs) Um, But with the album and the book, actually, it just felt like there was a bit of purpose to the pain. Like Mm. it's multifunctional. So it's therapeutic for me firstly, which is why I did it um, because it just really helped, but also it can help other people might not help everyone but some people might just be like oh I can really relate to that or this is going to help me when I lose someone and so I just thought ah oh, at least it wasn't all bad like at least there's a bit of good that comes out of it like at least I'm helping some people at least it resulted in me going to therapy and being a more emotionally healthy person like and I don't want to sound all airy-fairy because I hate people that always have to like make everything sound rosy oh yeah this is great and stuff because it was (laughs) it was crap but yeah just like at least it wasn't all crap do you know what I mean oh my god I mean yeah that's why I started the podcast (laughs) it's just (laughs) like I totally understand that need for something to be not necessarily positive but like constructive Mm. like it doesn't like you said oh no everything's brilliant but just like something that is like useful to someone because otherwise you're just left with this feeling of grief 
And I definitely, when I started, you know, I was like, oh, maybe this would work. And I just put a few out and then I might get an email for someone being like, oh, that was really helpful. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And there's that like, yeah. yeah, that feeling of like, oh, being helpful just feels so good after being so out of control and not being able to help in any way. I mean, you can connect it back pretty easily. <laughs> but I also, and I remember Googling when I started the book, I was like Googling something about grief and I found this thing that was like, oh, there's like four different types of grieving person. It was like this person, this person. And then the bottom was activist. And it said like, this person will like, f- you know, use the grief to do something. And I was sat there like, you know, and you're like blushing, like, oh God, <laughs> they can see me. And it was like, they will like either start researching the disease or set up a, ch- a charity or they'll, you know, they feel the need to do something. And I was like, is that bad? Like, is that it, is have definitely I done something me. bad? Yeah. That's definitely me. But then I get scared because I'm like, are people thinking, oh, can you just stop chatting about grief now, please? Like, we get it. All right. You lost your dad. Chill out, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it. Like, I know it's such a sort of double-edged sword of, you're like, well, I want to talk about it and it is helpful, but... Oh, I mean, oh God, you know, it's 20 plus years. I'm, I feel like, yeah, get over it, carry on. Like, what's still going on about it? <laughs> like, you say that though, but obviously I'm not just saying this because I'm on your your podcast, <laughs> but I listened to your Charlie Mackesy episode and that was really helpful for me in my grief process. I was, I basically just Googled grief podcast and then <laughs> yeah. you came up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, 20 years <laughs> on and you're helping someone like me that's gone through it, you know. A lot, uh, quite a few years later so yeah well I'm sure your book is going to have the same effect and as you said like to be able to talk about it in terms of the culture that you come from being a man the working class all of these things that can affect grief in different ways because I think the context of your grief is really important and sometimes ignored it's sometimes like oh grief is this universal thing it's like pain is the pain is of like you know losing another one but like you said it all comes with so much other stuff attached yeah. to it so I'm sure your book is is definitely going to help people well Isaac thank you so much for talking to me it was such a joy and I just feel so yeah it was so nice to speak to you thank you no appreciate you having me on your podcast I feel like a lot of people that come from you know the background that I come from can think ah oh, stuff like this isn't for me and so I feel like it's really important that I'm having these conversations with a wide variety of people and Thank you for providing an outlet for me to do that and something I can text all my mates saying, listen to this, she's all right. <laughs> yeah, that's the helpful thing. If, if people don't know what to say or that you're like, or next time someone's like, what happened to you, Blake? Just listen to the podcast. <laughs> like, I did it. I wrote the book, read the book, listen to the podcast. Oh, mate, know- yeah, that's a big thing, you know. Sorry, last thing no, I no, talk go a on, lot. Go basically, in Ghanaian culture, when someone passes away, the whole family and friends come to the house to pay their respect. So I had about 80 people come to my mum's house the day my dad passed away and every single time someone comes in you have to explain what happened again oh and God. again and again and I'm like oh this is so long so yeah um, now I'm just going to send people the podcast <laughs> if only you'd had that on the day yeah I know man <laughs> or like Can a you... badge or something <laughs> yeah 80 people that's a lot isn't it that's a lot to have to yeah. go through it again and again was it helpful in some ways because like you kind of or maybe it wasn't. I don't know if it would be helpful to have to keep saying it or just painful. Yeah, I think it depends who you are. I would hate that personally. Yeah. But I think for my mum, it was actually quite helpful because, yeah, when she was alone for the first time, I think it was really difficult. Obviously, yeah. you have to face that at some point, but it was really helpful for her. But, you know, then I talked to my wife, who's English, and they do things differently. Her family is just like, give them space. Like, <laughs> they'll let you know when you can come around, that kind of stuff. And I think there's <laughs> pros and cons to both. Oh yeah, having spoken to so many people, like some people say stuff, I think, oh, that's good. Oh no, that sounds bad. Like, <laughs> I think we need to get together and like take the best of everything. I think <laughs> yeah. the Englishness is like, yeah, it's like, oh, give them space. But then some people read that as no one cares. No one cares, mm. no one's come around. No one's, oh, it's all like, we'll leave you to it. We don't want to disturb you. And you're like, please don't leave me to it. Yeah. I'm so lonely. And this awful thing has happened. But yeah, equally like what you're saying of like, it's loads of people and you've like, oh my God, there's no space. It's like trying to find that that happy yeah. medium for it Maybe all. we're onto something there. We've got to try and, <laughs> yeah, balance it a little bit. So maybe like, maybe two people can come around <laughs> and then we'll be, 
Yeah, like or like eighty, but like scheduled. <laughs> yeah. So like they're coming at eleven, then they're going. There's a half hour break. Like yeah. you know, like you do like a press junket, and there's like yeah. then you get like there's gonna be drinks. No one's gonna talk to you. You can have a nap. Twelve o'clock. I'm afraid we got forty people coming at twelve, but they're gonna be in and out. In <laughs> get the red carpet out. Auntie yeah. Velma coming through. Your turn. Here we go. <laughs> Well, genuinely, thank you so much. It's been such a joy to speak to you and and talk about Charles as well. Thank you. Cheers. You can follow Governor B on Twitter and Instagram at Governor B. That's G-U-V-N-A-B. And his new book, Unspoken, is available from all good bookshops now. You can follow us at The Griefcast on Twitter and Instagram. The show was edited by Kate Holland. The music was provided by The Glue Ensemble. Uh, It was recorded uh, remotely in my living room and I think Isaac's living room as well. Thank you so much to Isaac for taking the time to speak to me. And remember, you are not alone. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 